Three big regional ideas dominate the world, the Indo-Pacific, Eurasia and the Atlantic. What is the Atlantic? An ocean, an alliance, the West? Or is it a special relationship between America and Britain that began when Roosevelt told Churchill he was his only one, his favourite boy? Models, of course, 1981 Atlantic Romantic, and I hope you've enjoyed that little sting of music from my 18-year-old memories. Of course, it sings about a relationship where someone told, a very special relationship where someone told someone else that he was her favourite boy and maybe that's a bit of a model for that special relationship between Britain and America across the Atlantic. So I am Jeff Rich and this is the Burning Archive podcast and I'll tell you a little bit more about myself in a little promo towards the end of today's program but let's just jump jump straight into the show. Today we're talking about the Atlantic, the ocean, the region, the idea, the alliance and uh, it's the home of countries that some people think gave birth to western civilization itself. But could NATO, the alliance that controls this part of the world, be on the verge of a breakup? The Atlantic Romantics may be breaking up. Could the special relationship between Britain and the USA be having difficulties? And what better song than the model's iconic Melbourne indie rock hit to introduce us today? So shout out to any Models fans and band members or family members of Models band members who may well be listening to the show. Uh, Enough 80s nostalgia, big issues today. So I'm going to cover the Atlantic in two parts and try to show you how the stories people tell about world history and this part of the world ocean relate to the events unfolding before us today. And I'm going to do this in two episodes. In today's episode, I'm going to give an overview of the Atlantic itself talk about how the Atlantic is showing up in current events in, uh, you know, big geopolitical news, the realities of the region and uh, some history book recommendations so that you can have a better understanding of this place. And then next week, I'll talk about uh, how the ideas and institutions of the Atlantic were formed through the real history uh, of this ocean and a fragment from the Burning Archive. The Atlantic Charter of 1941, which has recently been revived in a perhaps not so authoritative version. Okay, so let's start off then by talk, giving you uh, an overview of the Atlantic. 
So the Atlantic is one of the oceans of the world, I think the second largest ocean of the world, and one of the key geopolitical regions of the world. It's also a set of political institutions. It's in the name of NATO, the North Atlantic Organization, that's so central to the conflict in Ukraine and so central to the world crisis today. It's an alliance, an idea, and it is even spoken of as a civilization, sometimes as Atlantic civilization, more often called the West, Western civilization, and is often seen, uh, England and America especially, as somehow the uh, custodians or the home of Western civilization, even though the true homes of Western culture are often far, far from the Atlantic seaboard. There are magazines like The Atlantic, uh, think tanks like the Atlantic Council that promote their uh, ideas, missions, their ideas of the destiny of American Western civilization and the garden of democracy. So these ideas, institutions and realities of the West are always in the news about world affairs and geopolitics. Those think tanks, those magazines, the representatives of those powers are always setting out their views on world affairs. And as I showed in my earlier podcasts on the Indo-Pacific and Eurasia, that news is laced with stories and traces of history and with myths or at least variants of history. We can see our world, our multipolar world, a little bit more clearly if we look carefully at that history and try to imagine some different stories from it. We might even be able to imagine a more peaceful world or appreciate the diverse treasures of the cultures that we have if we reimagine the world history of the Atlantic. Uh, so that's what I really try to do on the Burning Archive uh, uh, podcast and actually recently on my YouTube channel I've just actually updated my both my podcast art on the podcast and on my YouTube channel, similarly updated the uh, the art for the channels uh, to sort of convey that idea of reimagining the world with uh, history. So if you like that, do let us know. If we do see the world as truly diverse and complex and multipolar, not as a good versus evil struggle, then I think we can act more differently and more compassionately and more wisely in this world. We can unlock new paths of action. We can unfreeze ourselves from rigid false narratives. And one of those false narratives is tied to the Atlantic, that it is the ocean of Western civilization, the garden amidst the world jungle, that it is a defensive alliance that still has a purpose after the Cold War, that it is somewhere under the waves there, the bedrock of the special relationship between the United States and Britain, the father and son empire of the Atlantic, who had a bitter dispute in 1776, but helped each other out in the 20th century uh, when Dad handed over the reins of the empire to ambitious and energetic America. So how is the Atlantic showing up? 
in current day events. Uh, Recent major geopolitical news highlights how the history, ideas, reality intermingle in talking about the Atlantic and help us make sense of this unfolding world crisis. Some millionaires went to their deaths in a tin can in an undersea odyssey to recover uh, the historical relic of the mythic lost ship of the Titanic at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Tragedy that they died. Of course, the Atlantic Ocean is the place where the mythic uh, lost civilization of Atlantis also, also sunk to the bottom of the sea beyond the pillars of Atlas that gave the ocean its name. The Straits of Gibraltar, I guess, as we know them today. In more pragmatic news, uh, NATO will hold its annual summit in uh, Vilnius on the 11th and 12th of July. They there will discuss expanding the membership of NATO and the Ukraine conflict and ideas about the nature of this Atlantic alliance fighting a war to defend Western civilization or democracy in a country that has only has a coastline in the Black Sea, not on the Atlantic Ocean, and has just announced that it will not have any elections, at least until the war is over. The job of Secretary-General of the North Atlantic Treaty Organisation is also up for grabs at the moment, and British Defence Minister Ben Wallace wanted the job and had kind of assumed that this special relationship between Britain and the United States and Britain's zeal in the the conflict in Ukraine would land him the job. But apparently Joe Biden said no, and this has made the British power elite quite angry. The Daily Telegraph, I think a conservative-leaning newspaper in Britain, reported that Joe Biden has done Britain a bad turn, uh, in quotation marks, a bad turn by blocking Ben Wallace's run for NATO. It doesn't seem to fit the British assumption that they are number two in the NATO alliance, that they, as the granddaddy of the American Empire, of the Atlantic empires, uh, (laughs) have special claims over the running of the NATO alliance, that they have a special relationship with America. And the British power elite were especially disappointed since earlier this month, Uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, British Prime Minister, and Joe Biden actually signed an Atlantic Declaration uh, with all sorts of economic cooperation between Britain and America. This was a bit of a reboot of an Atlantic Charter, which had been revived by Joe Biden and Boris Johnson as a kind of post-Trump post-Brexit makeup of Britain and the United States. And in turn, Biden and Johnson were reviving the original Atlantic Charter that had been signed by uh, Franklin Delaware Roosevelt and Winston Churchill in August 1941. And I'll talk about that historical document in the second episode on the Atlantic next week. 
So there's been a bit of uh, a bit of movement in the diplomacy between America and a few a few wrinkles in the special relationship between the Atlantic Romantics of the United States and Britain. Another piece of news about the Atlantic, NATO has decided to leap way outside of its lane, way outside of its pond and announce plans to expand to the Indo-Pacific, not the Atlantic. I'm not sure how sending gunboats to the coast of China help NATO perform the role of a defensive alliance in the North Atlantic, thousands and thousands of kilometres away, but perhaps I am just not gifted with enough military and strategic insight. But I think the idea that NATO could expand to the Indo-Pacific suggests that the Atlantic has a very special kind of idea attached to it. And people attached to that idea have a very unusual sense of their role in world history. Indeed, the Indian External Affairs Minister, Dr. S. J. Shankar, said that um, someone in the Atlantic Alliance had suggested that India join NATO even though India perhaps still has rather strong memories of when it was part of the British Empire, when Britain ruled the waves of both the Atlantic and the Indo-Pacific. And Dr S.J. Shanker said that this was really outdated thinking. On the, the Congressional Committee recommending NATO Plus, you know, we've... See, one of the challenges of a changing world is how do you get people to accept and adjust to those changes. Uh, even today, not just with this committee, I, I see this, uh, you know, uh, in analysis of various kinds and writings of people. Uh, a lot of Americans still have that NATO treaty construct in their heads. You know, so any situation they deal with, they use that like a uh, it seems almost like that's the only uh, sort of template with which or only viewpoint with which they look at the world. The reality is that is not a template that applies to, to, uh, to India. There have even been commentators um, who have suggested that the uh, NATO alliance might be under strain, that things might, everyone might be saying the right things right now, but the tensions of the war in Ukraine and the tensions of uh, the difficulty of perhaps even the overextension of NATO into the Indo-Pacific is putting heavy strain on NATO, that this a set of Atlantic romantics might also break up. Famously, Donald Trump treated NATO partners outside of America as bad debtors, and Emmanuel Macron once said that NATO was brain dead while proposing a European army that might even replace the very large number of American soldiers stationed in European nations. But 
commentators like Colonel Douglas McGregor have suggested that NATO could break up. And indeed, the whole issue of European security is at the core of the conflict in Ukraine and perhaps creative thinking is required to think about European security separate from the Atlantic Alliance. So you can see how in some big stories in the news and big ideas and inherited narratives about world history are shaping the thoughts, plans and actions of decision makers today. What then about the realities of this region of the Atlantic? What is the Atlantic in its geographic reality? Well, NATO, of course, is the North Atlantic and there is also South Atlantic. Most of the discussion of the idea of the Atlantic, the institutions of the Atlantic, really refer to the rich countries of the North, but not the poorer countries of the South Atlantic that do border this ocean. Indeed, there are eight South American countries, plus two British and one French territory or colony, nine Central American countries, plus some more European possessions, 12 Caribbean countries, plus uh, quite a few American, US and European uh, territories and possessions, including, of course, Puerto Rico, which is actually the first and longest American settlement uh, that's still part Part of the United States, European settled part of America that is still part of the United States. There are 27 African countries, uh, if you also include the Mediterranean, and within that there are also quite a few imperial possessions. In fact, doing that little bit of research about how many non-NATO <laughs> countries uh, share the Atlantic and are not part of the uh, Atlantic Romantic Party was a bit of an eye-opener about just how many European and United States colonial slash territorial slash garrison possessions there are around the world. What about the physical dimensions of this ocean? It's the second largest of the world's five oceans with an area of about 85 million square kilometres. It covers approximately 20% of the Earth's surface and about 29% of its water surface area. Not as big, of course, as the Indo-Pacific. It's moreover... Uh, and fun fact here, it is the saltiest ocean on average, perhaps curiously, uh, <laughs> curiously appropriate little fact there, the salty Atlantic. Uh, in the North Atlantic, uh, the surface circulation is dominated by three interconnected currents, the Gulf Stream, the North Atlantic Current and the Subpolar Front. And this system of currents transports warm water into the uh, North Atlantic, without which the temperatures of the North Atlantic and Europe 
would plunge dramatically. So it's fundamental to, I guess, the environment of uh, the West. The South Atlantic is similarly dominated by a anti-cyclonic southern subtropical gyre, the water currents. Now, one of the critical geographical factors about the Atlantic Ocean is, in fact, these currents and its winds. And I'll explain more in part two about this, but this essentially meant that this ocean was kind of locked to oceanic navigation to the 15th century. It was just too hard to sail across with wind-driven boats. When the journeys of Columbus, Cabo and da Gama unlocked those oceans, the Atlantic stopped being a black box and became a bridge for extraordinary movement between the three continents that surrounded the Americas, North and South, Africa and Europe, or we could perhaps say Western Eurasia. People, resources, plants, weapons, ideas and wealth moved across the ocean and began to create the human geography we have today. Initially, this was to some degree built in large measure on slaves, conquistadors and faith, uh, but uh, a vast new transatlantic economy was built. The wealth of the West was built. Over time, finance and services were added. London became the financial centre of the world, the hub that ran the cotton and slave industries of the American South and South and profited from imperial possessions of the global South. While Asia and Africa uh, are growing as sources of physical goods today, this transatlantic economy is still enormously reliant on services. Indeed, the US and Europe are large service economies in the world, uh, trade services, and Europe actually accounted for 38% of total US services exports and for 42% of total US services imports in 2018. So the Atlantic is an enormously powerful economic region, although built on in a different, very different way to what it was in the 19th century or even the 20th century. Uh, this, this point has been made in a recent report by the US Chamber of Commerce with the perhaps unfortunate title, given the legacy of the transatlantic slavery trade, the title of their report was The Ties That Bind. Um, but they said here, and I quote, in a global economy racked by surprises and shocks, the US and Europe remain each other's most important markets and geoeconomic base. The transatlantic economy generates six trillion dollars in total commercial sales a year and employs up to 16 million workers in onshored jobs. It is the largest and wealthiest market in the world, accounting for half of total global personal consumption and close to one third of world GDP in terms of purchasing power. Ties are particularly thick in foreign direct investment portfolio investment, 
banking claims, trade and affiliate sales in goods and services, digital links, energy, mutual R&D investment, patent cooperation, technology flows and sales of knowledge intensive services. It is, if you like, the rich club's lake. And arguably, NATO's actions in Ukraine and globally its competition with BRICS have increased this interdependence across the Atlantic between Europe and the United States. Perhaps an interdependence that has been to the disadvantage of Europe. These dense transatlantic services have certainly given advantages to the North Atlantic powers over uh, decades and part of the significance, I guess, of Russia withstanding the economic sanctions placed upon them after, or before and after the uh, Ukraine war, is that those other countries of the world, those countries of the South Atlantic and the Indo-Pacific, the BRICS countries, are starting to develop their own uh, service economy infrastructure, arguably starting to escape the rule of the the Atlantic US dollar. Be that as it may, transatlantic wealth in turn has supported the development of many transatlantic international institutions. Initially empires, the British Empire, the American Empire, the Spanish Empire, uh, but now alliances. NATO, the Marshall Plan, the Atlantic Council, uh, which was founded in 1961, the Marshall Plan, which was the large uh, investment in the 1950s, late 1940s, early 1950s, of the United States to rebuild uh, Western Europe, and the Atlantic Magazine, which was founded in Boston in 1857, but is now owned by an extremely wealthy American uh, oligarch. Those institutions have also led to shared military installations, especially after 1945 when America claimed to have won the war and saved Europe from fascism, invested heavily in Western Europe through the Marshall Plan and established bases and various forms of uh, military integration or across Europe, especially in Germany. The domination of the services industry has also given the Atlantic enormous cultural power. One of those services, of course, is Hollywood and Netflix, and they have promoted, I guess, the Atlantic version of world history and World War II remorselessly over decades. But it's also embodied in the major research institutions and universities that have built up in, uh, particularly in America, the American sort of university um, think tank establishment and philanthropic establishment, uh, which funds uh, an enormous amount of scholarly uh, activity around the world and draws uh, many scholars, writers, historians even occasionally uh, to America from other parts of the world. And it was really in those institutions that the idea of Western civilization, a particular version of the story of Western civilization, became entrenched orthodoxy during the 1950s, 60s and 70s in particular. And I actually did a podcast last year on this whole idea of 
Western civilization. That was in episode 58, in fact, in June 2022, so a year ago. And that is a terrific episode. It was part of my series of episodes that talked about the idea of cradles of civilization and looked at a whole bunch of uh, uh, places where different kinds of civilization grew up based on Felipe Fernandez Amesto's wonderful book, Civilizations, and uh, discussed uh, uh, his comments on the growth of this idea of Western civilization. Anyhow, I will come back to that whole idea, no doubt, another time on the podcast. So that is a, a bit of a tour of the realities of geographical, economic and institutional realities of the Atlantic. I, I'm going to talk about the real or imagined history of the Atlantic in part two, but let me round off today with some book recommendations. Uh, but first, uh, let's just have a quick listen to a promo, a promo here about uh, uh, my writing and how you can follow my writing and other content creation and if you choose, also support me to produce more of that good stuff. As well as The Burning Archive, I write on the blog, theburningarchive.com. I also write a weekly newsletter that you can subscribe to for free at jeffrich, J-E-F-F-R-I-C-H, substack.com as well as subscribing to my free weekly newsletter there you can become a paid subscriber and you'll get additional writing from me every fortnight and you can also check out the burning archive youtube channel where i include stationary video versions of this podcast and do other videos looking at Views, history books, all sorts of stuff. And you can also buy my books at Amazon.com and other online retailers, Gathering Flowers of the Mind, my collected poems, and from the Burning Archive, Essays and Fragments 2015 to 2022. There's a collection of essays I wrote on culture, literature, history. Uh, and I guess social issues over a period of seven years and shortly I'll be releasing my next book 13 ways of looking at a bureaucrat and finally you can also check out my articles that get published on johnmenadieu.com the pearls and irritations website so uh, do check out all those things So you may be asking, what are some good books that, uh, good history books that is, that you can read to get a really a, a better understanding of the Atlantic and the Atlantic Romantics who founded a Western civilization, at least in their own version of that story. And I have here five authors to recommend to you. So first of all is David Abalafia's book The Boundless Sea, A Human History of the 
oceans. And I think I spoke about this book previously on my one of my recommendations on the Indo-Pacific. But in this book, he describes the Atlantic as the young ocean and gives a wonderful account of its history from 22,000 BC to AD 1500, a much shorter history than the older Pacific and Indian Ocean stories. And it's a wonderful story in there. You'll find about, hear about uh, tin traders, the uh, sort of early, early sort of, I guess, Celts who lived along the coasts of the Atlantic, the, of course, the, the Vikings, Russians trading on the Atlantic, Portugal and stories, of course, of the transatlantic slave trade and so much more. It's a wonderful book. He also has a really excellent little guide to further reading on the uh, all of the oceans uh, towards the end of his book. It's really worth checking out. And some of these other book recommendations I have are based on David Abalafia's uh, recommendation so it's not just a wacky old Jeff Rich from Melbourne Australia who's recommending this it's one of the leading scholars on oceans in the world he uh, certainly recognizes uh, I think it's Bernard Balin who produced enormous uh, literature on the Atlantic but he does recommend that 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 literature be treated with some caution. It very much comes from the sort of Anglo-American perspective, the kind of Atlantic Council perspective, I guess, the American post-World War II view of the Atlantic as the home of Western civilization. His better recommendation for a truly deep and long view of the historical, archaeological, cultural record of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, of the peoples of the Atlantic Ocean, are two books by the British archaeologist Barry Cunliffe, C-U-N-L-I-F-F-E, called On the Ocean and Facing the Ocean. On the Ocean, uh, the Mediterranean and the Atlantic from prehistory to AD 1500, so 2017 book, and the earlier book, Facing the Ocean, the Atlantic and its peoples from 2001. So if you can get perhaps on the ocean, that is the one to get go for that will give you your uh, fundamental story in the most up-to-date version as i said barry uh, david abelaf is a little bit skeptical of a lot of the anglo-american literature on the atlantic that's a somewhat triumphalist american literature on the atlantic but he does recommend a book by c strobel s-t-r-o-b-e-l called The Global Atlantic uh, from 2015. So you might want to check that one out. The final books or set of books that I would highly, highly recommend, and I can do this as my personal recommendation, having read them and learnt so much from them myself, are a series of books by the, the great world historian Felipe Fernandez Mesto, uh, civilizations, uh, which I've talked about, I think, previously on the podcast. He's also written a book called Pathfinders, which talks about the, I guess, the story of ex exploration across the oceans. 
He has only in the last year or so, I think, published Straits, S-T-R-A-I-T-S, Beyond the Myth of Magellan, uh, Fernando Magellan, uh, you know, the uh, first person to circumnavigate the world, kind of. And uh, I think he's also written a biography of Christopher Columbus. And as you'll see, uh, complicated as it is, the story of the unlocking of the Atlantic to navigation it was fundamental to the story. Uh, and Felipe Fernandez Amesto has also, I think, written a book called 1492. But if you can read one thing, I would certainly read the chapters on the Atlantic towards the end of Felipe Fernandez Amesto's book, Civilizations. And that really tells you the, the, the story of the growth of the Atlantic as an idea post Columbus but then especially post post 1945 in America and its merger with the concept of western civilization and perhaps it struggles after the end of the cold war uh, Felipe Fernandez Amesto is one of the great writers and storytellers of world history and I would really encourage you all to check out those books. David Arbalafia, Barry Cunliffe and Felipe Fernandez Amesto, I can personally recommend having read myself. Uh, and Strobel, The Global Atlantic, is a recommendation from David Arbalafia. So today we've covered uh, the overview of this idea of Atlantics and the Atlantic Romantics. We've teased the special relationship between Britain and the United States that may be having a few marital problems right at the moment. And we've talked about the reality of uh, the, the, re the rea real geography and the real economy, the real uh, cultural institutions of uh, the real political and cultural institutions of this great ocean and uh, giving you some tips as to where to go further with your own exploration of the uh, idea of the Atlantic. Uh, next week on the eve of the NATO Vilnius summit I'll look at the real history of the Atlantic and tell its story uh, bravely, perhaps in a single podcast, through a handful of key dates and a fragment of the Burning Archive, that Atlantic charter that Joe Biden and Rishi Sunak recently rebooted uh, to reaffirm the relationship between the United States and Britain. That special relationship that began when Franklin Delaware Roosevelt told Churchill he was his only one, his favourite boy. Thanks everyone. I'll go out with the model's music uh, today and do stay tuned for part two. I'd run.